This episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Peroni. Imported from Italy, this is a beer that embodies quality craftsmanship and style. Look for Peroni for your next happy hour, or as the Italians call it, aperitivo at your local grocery store in cans and bottles, and follow them on Instagram at at PeroniUSA. Whatever you do, do it beautifully. Peroni Italia, for people over the age of 21 only. 2020 imported by Bira Peroni Internazionale, Washington, D.C. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment, maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S. There could be one just around the corner. Contact an agent today, no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in. Check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Don't forget to check out the ringer.com. Big Oscars week this week. We are covering it all over the place on the Big Picture podcast, on the ringer.com with some all kinds of stories and things like that. Check out the Book of Basketball podcast as well. We have a new one that went up this week. Coming up is a podcast that we taped in front of a live audience of about 200 people at Sundance. We did it last week. It is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Here it is. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? (laughs) Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, coming up. I'm Rick Dalton. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. All right, what's the matter, partner? Line? It's official, old buddy. It has been. Burst yourself like that in front of all those damn people. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I play Miss Carlson. The Klutz. Give me a lift. Where are you going? Charlie's gonna dig you. In this town, that can all change like that. Once upon a time in Hollywood, in theaters July 26th. All right, my name is Bill Simmons. That's Sean Fantasy. That is Chris Ryan. Thanks to Sundance TV for hosting us. Thanks to Peroni for sponsoring the event. Um, so we've done this. This is the third year in a row where we've done this with a movie that is about to possibly win the Oscar. Two years ago, we did Get Out. Last year, we did A Star is Born, which I think some people were upset about. Um, Fuck them. This year, I think the... This year, I think people are going to be happy with this choice. Uh, let's go five years from now, because we always like to talk about how the Oscars really shouldn't be awarded until five years from now, because then you avoid mistakes like the artist. When did, what year did the artist win? 2015? Or 1917. Or maybe 1917 in 2025. Um, Sean, sorry, five years? Sorry, all, already, Chris. all my World War veteran, one veterans out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys are the real heroes. <laughs> Um, Sean, five years from now, what's going to jump out about this movie? Uh, it depends on if Quentin Tarantino's 10th and final film has been made by then. 
because if it hasn't, then we'll still think that he got screwed on not winning the Oscar. But if it has, he probably will get that last Oscar. So it's hard to say. But if his last movie is a five-hour version of Bounty Law, we'll probably feel the same way. That wouldn't be ideal. Are you sold on him being done after 10 movies? He's a close personal friend of yours. He's done a couple of rewatchables with him. Sure, yeah. Do you feel like it's one more movie, that's it, and then he does like prestige TV or who knows? He says he wants to write books, which, I mean, in 2020, that's bold. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I, I can vouch firsthand. I don't want to write books, but I've written books. Uh, what, what jumps out to you five years from now? Put yourself in 2025, Chris. Yeah, I think it's probably the two lead performances that wind up being iconic for both of these guys and their filmographies and that we will look back and we'll, we will like associate Rick and Cliff with Brad and Leo the way we do you know, Michael Corleone with Al Pacino or you know, like Jake LaMotta with Robert De Niro. Wow, really? That's big. Not necessarily on that level, but I think that they are pretty, like, for these guys in their late later stages, like, what's the other Leonardo DiCaprio other than the Bear movie? Like, what is his, like, signature role of the last, like, eight years? Blood, Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond, that's right. <laughs> You're just baiting me into doing a, a, a Blood Diamond accent. Um, my reaction when I saw this movie... And my reaction when I rewatched it a couple times since is Brad Pitt just is the is the leading sentence. He needed one more of these. I, I think he he's obviously an A-lister. He's a Hall of Famer, the whole thing. But um, I compared it to when Nowitzki won the title in 2011, where Nowitzki was a Hall of Famer anyway. He was going to be a top 40 guy. And then the title pushed him to a whole other level. And that's what I feel like with this Brad Pitt. It was the performance I always felt like he had in him. He got there in Moneyball. You see shades of it in Moneyball, yeah. Yeah. I think Moneyball, which we loved, which was one of the first rewatchables we ever done. He's had supporting parts. I thought he was awesome in Fight Club. This is like the total package. And when I did a podcast with Wesley Morris about this movie back in August, Wesley was saying like Brad Pitt was always destined to be a little bit of an older actor. That was going to be his, it's seeming like, like his post-prime. But really, this is his prime. He's a little weathered. It's got some baggage. You think about this character, Cliff, the wife-killing stuntman. We don't know how the wife died. Uh, And this was just like the perfect guy for him to play. So for me, that was the big takeaway. What about you? Well, for years, the cliche about him was that he was a character actor with matinee idol good looks. And so he was always trying to be more interesting and not get stuck playing, you know, Greek gods all the time. This is one of the first real supporting performances he's ever given. And so it kind of makes sense because these are the kinds of actors that he actually likes and looks up to. Also in Moneyball, he's kind of yelling a lot and doing things that are not natural to his persona and his personality. If you see him like on the award circuit now, he's pretty laid back. He's pretty funny. He's pretty chill. That's what Cliff Booth is. You know, he can carry himself well, but he's, he's calm. This kind of reminds me of like, I, he, he always reminds me of Newman where it's like there's this really, really like heartthrob beginning. Like for Newman, it's like movies like HUD, for Pitt, it's stuff like Seven. And then there's like a really good, interesting Nothing says heartthrob like Seven. What's that? What's that? Nothing says heartthrob like Seven. I, I, actually, I know a lot of women who thought he was super hot in Seven. You don't know that? Where are, those, are those women alive still? <laughs> yeah. But then... Uh, What's in the box? <laughs> then like this period, Moneyball, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like almost like verdict color of money newman you know what i mean like it's certainly become a little bit more weathered a little bit more wizened gone through some stuff i was thinking about charisma parts because this is such a charisma part and it can go in a lot of ways right like clooney's best charisma movie i think was was out of sight mm-hmm. which yeah it's the charisma him and j-lo that makes that movie it's also really well done but um for paul newman it's slap shot weirdly older paul newman a yeah. little beaten up 
that shouldn't have been an awesome movie, and it's awesome, and it holds up 42 years later. But you think of uh, these different A-listers. Sometimes, like, what, what was Tom Cruise's ultimate awesome part? He's basically playing variations of Tom Cruise in these different movies. But I don't know if he had a Cliff Booth part, did he? Would you say he had one? I mean, I think he's been I mean, looking he's for one. He's in need of one right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, his last best role is probably Edge of Tomorrow, I would imagine. Right? Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> um, are we sure? Are we sure he shouldn't have been in the best actor category for this? Brad? Yeah. He's in a lot of the movie. I kind of feel like I was going to save this for later, but I, I feel like the while I appreciate the Brad Pitt victory lap, it really kind of blocks out Leo on this one. Like, I think DiCaprio is astonishing in this movie. I think it's his best performance ever. Yeah. Really? Literally. Go further. And there's no, well, nobody cares. Better than Growing Pains? <laughs> you don't remember better, the scenes with Boner? Better. <laughs> yeah. Better than Growing Pains, better than Basketball Diaries, better than What's Eating Gilbert Grape, better than The Revenant, better than Blood Diamond, better than to Catch Me If You Can, better than everything. But no one cares because he already won. So he won. So we already gave him his moment. We got to talk about Leo all year with The Revenant, which isn't good. Sorry. Um, and this is, this is him reflecting on his own fame in a, such an interesting way. It's also like a challenging performance because he's very twitchy. He's insecure. He's breaking down. He's at a weird phase of his life. It's very self-reflective and self-reflexive. And everybody's just like, oh, it's all about Brad. And Brad is incredible in the movie. But actually, to me, it's completely Leo's movie. Yeah. Plus, he allows himself to be fat Leo. The end. But is he just fat Leo now? He puts like. Have you noticed that he's 15, just like 20. I'm good he's with a little bit it. of a belly? Yeah. Yeah. Gobble. A little heft. Yeah. Liked it. Cat, what, calf length white socks, yeah. a city bike, a vape pen. <laughs> it's like he's just got it all figured out. I will say he's like a little softer on the middle right now, but I met him in person and he was. Name drop. He was. But he has. Who did you meet in person? I, I met him at a private club. It was yeah. just me and him. We spent like you, 12 you hours and him together. At Equinox, just getting after it. He wiped down the, the weights, and you get in there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we share a Peloton subscription. Uh, <laughs> but when I met him, he was, he's full tractor beam. Like, he, look, he looks in your eyes, and he's like, hey, Leonardo. Back, wait. Did, he, did he talk to you? Was that I the only thing he said to you, that. though? Yeah, he stopped talking. <laughs> yeah. He got back on the Peloton. Uh, um, one more theme in this movie, which I... Woke movie Twitter's reaction to this movie. I don't know. You're if going there now? Jesus, now? First quarter. <laughs> we could save it or we could go there now. But um, I was just astonished by how good the the theme that Tarantino cared about was the beginning of somebody's career and the end of somebody's career. And to read people being upset that Margot Robbie didn't have more scenes or why didn't they dive into her character further, it's just like, did you guys fucking watch the movie? That wasn't the point. The whole point was you're experiencing the joy of somebody's, the, the beginning stages of somebody's career when every single thing that's happening to her is good. There's no backlash. There's no bad review. Everything is just sunny and she's going to the Playboy Mansion and parts are going to be coming and she goes to a movie theater and she's still not a star yet. Like she, she talks her way into the theater and takes a picture in front of the poster and you take that and you juxtapose it with Cliff, with, uh, I'm sorry, Rick, whose career is falling apart and he's two years away from being on like Dragnet or whatever. He's on Dragnet. Yeah, he's, Rockford he's lucky. Files yeah. or whatever. He's going to be the bad guy in Charlie's Angels in 1976. Like his career is headed that way and he knows it. And that's the whole point of the movie. We didn't need more Margot Robbie scenes. The scenes that she has are really powerful. Um, 
I was disappointed. So you want to cancel the cancelers? That's what you're saying. I'd like to re-cancel. Uh, no, <laughs> three cancelables can, can, can cancel. We're subscribing to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I just liked what he did, and and I think sometimes. We get into this pick-apart culture, and this is why all of us love this movie. We watched it. It held up on the rewatch completely. Um, but in the theater, that was my experience watching. I was like, I totally get what he's trying to do. I guess I was disappointed that more people didn't get it. What do you think, Chris? What do I think about this movie being canceled and uncanceling it? Uh, I think it's a memory piece. Like, he said that over and over again. I think that this is largely, like, a figment of his, like, imaginative memory. And there's a lot of scenes in this movie that I think can be taken literally or can be taken as a character thinking about something and then they're like the, the, what you're seeing on screen is coming from their mind. The Margot stuff, the Sharon Tate stuff, I think like is part of like a long-term Tarantino project. I talked about this on Sean's pod when we were originally talking about the movie. And I think we talked about it when we talked about Inglorious Bastards where it's like his project is history. Like his project is this like kind of almost like historical correction of a record, which in some, sometimes does make people mad, like the way like he goes about doing it. But I think in some ways that that's what this was about, which is about, he saw this as a moment where these guys who thought of themselves as heroes, who thought of themselves as traditionally like cowboy masculine heroes were able to save the day, even if in real life they weren't. Yeah, I think it's a what-if movie. A lot of his movies recently have been what-if movies. I also think that the thing that you're identifying, the sort of initial outrage, which started at Cannes, and then there was a lot of conversation about it around July when it was released, is kind of gone. I think that that conversation about it is kind of over. And it's not, it doesn't seem like it's going to win Best Picture, but it still, I think, is pretty clearly like very high on Tarantino fans' lists and in their hearts. It's still like a very meaningful movie. It's very sweet. It's a very sentimental movie, un- unusually sentimental for him. Should it win Best Picture? Yes. I mean, I, what do you guys I think? think so. Oh, it's pretty mixed. Well, somebody say JoJo? <laughs> JoJo. <laughs> Is Taika here? <laughs> I think it was an awesome movie year. I think we can all agree on that one. I was, you know, every time we worry about the future of movies, we have a year like 2019. It was just so many good things. I game. I include Good Boys, by the way. Uh, but just <laughs> good stuff for game. everybody. That was and, the third choice for this pod. Yeah. But you think about we were doing Grantland in February 2015, and we had that Oscars thing, which we really went all in on. And the fucking artist won, and and none of us knew what to do because we kind of felt like it might happen, but it was such a bad movie year. And then I compare it to this year, and it's like holy shit. Uh, this movie got 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Director, Actor, Supporting Actor. It's headed toward almost $400 million worldwide. Sean, do, do, I'll give you 30 seconds uh, as an important film person on how hard it is for the mid-range movie to actually make money. Original stories is what's really hard. And this is an original story not based on anything. And uh, yeah, it's really hard at the box office for those movies to succeed. The other thing to note about the box office, this movie didn't open in China. Because China asked that he edit out certain sections of the film. And so that would have made more money if he had decided to edit the movie. And he said no, and Sony backed him. So He's like, I'm rich. Thanks anyway. Uh, <laughs> this is Leo's. How many films do you think he's done with an Academy Award-nominated director, Chris? Like 20. What do you think? 16. 17. So Leo... Did you know that going into this, or did you just dunk on me? Was that like just like you pulled that out of your head, like a thin air, like you were like seven, six? Uh, you'll just have to live the rest of your life wondering the answer. 
I think Leo decided in like 1992, I care about two things, Oscar winning directors and supermodels. <laughs> and that's, and that's going to be my jam. Don't judge me. So it's based on uh, Rick Dalton. Do you have a supermodel count as well? or <laughs> no, I do not have that. Yeah, I would say 17. I don't know how many zeros after the 17. Based on uh, Rick Dalton, Bonnie Lost Star, which was based on Wanted, Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen, a show that did either of you know even existed? I did. I've never seen it. I didn't know Steve McQueen was a TV star. I, I tried a watching a bunch of the television westerns that get referenced they're really in this bad. movie. They're, they're a tough hang. Yeah, yeah. they're tough. TV's uh, gotten really good. Yeah. Dalton's, <laughs> Dalton's relationship with Cliff is based on Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham, his longtime stunt double, who I think, what did he direct? Hooper? Smoking the Bandit, right? And I mean, he, he, he directed a lot of his you late 70s. You know what Smoking the Bandit is? Yeah. That movie's incredible. Smoking the Bandit rules. It's just Burt Reynolds in a car with Sally Field. She looks great. There's no plot, they're just driving across country. He's laughing. There's a truck behind them. I think there's... Is there a monkey in that one, or is that Clint Eastwood? That's a- Every Which Way But Loose. Every Which Way, yeah. yeah. They should have merged those two movies. Let's, uh... <laughs> this is a good bit for you. Let's start merging movies. Smoking the Bandit with the ape from Every Which Way You Can. Yeah. It's an orangutan. Every Which Way That's Loose. orangutan. Yeah. That's a great movie. Clyde. How do you know it's an orangutan? I just know. That orangutan had a moment. Let's take a break to talk about Sonos. Whether you're watching a new movie or re-watching an old movie, like we do many times here on the podcast, the sound quality can make or break your viewing experience. Guess what's more suspenseful and more impactful when it's actually surrounding you? The Jaws theme song. Oh, yeah. With Sonos, bring clear, detailed sound that fills the room at any volume. Every Sonos speaker is designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound. Deep bass, fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. Their true play technology puts the speaker tuning capability of the recording pros in the palm of your hands. Getting started easy, plug in a speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming services. I have multiple Sonos things, and I can vouch firsthand once you put the app in. It is super easy. It works with anything you got going. As long as you have your Wi-Fi, it's super easy. Uh, Connect to your TV, connect to a turntable, listen to everything you love. I have a combination. I have the surround system, but I also have the Sonos Move, which you can basically carry around. It's like a little pod and move from room to room. And I am, I'm pretty good with this stuff, setting it up. And I was surprised by how easy it is. So there you go. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. S-O-N-O-S.com. Meanwhile, Pepsi with the new year in full motion now that it's February. Everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, even though we're a month, one month in. Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging people to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, and live your life like nobody's watching. Here's an idea. You know, if you're a movie fan like, like I am and you feel like you want to see every Oscar movie or have an opinion on all of them, you know what I realize? I really want to try to see all of them, but at some point you just kind of give up and you say, you know what? I got 85% there and I'm just going to lie the other 15% when people (laughs) ask me what I thought of a movie. I'm just going to pretend I saw it. Like the new movie with Banderas, Pain and Glory, that he got nominated for. People are like, what'd you think? I just say, oh, Banderas, he was great. I didn't see that movie. (laughs) I don't mind. I don't mind lying to people about movies I didn't see. Pepsi, that's what I like. Back to the podcast. Let's go with uh, categories. We have like about 15 rewatchable scenes. So what we do, if you don't know the uh, the process here, 
we have categories to try to break down the movie and have fun with it. And uh, through the categories, we dive in. It's like it's like a big plate of mac and cheese, and you dive under, and there's like a cheesy part. So we're gonna do that for you right now. Wait, what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The altitude's really getting me. It's been a, been a rough weekend. Uh, first one. This I don't have this for me personally, but you guys both have it. Pacino, Musso, and Franks telling Leo his career is basically over. Why is this a rewatchable scene for you? Um, I think it's actually Pacino's sequel performance from Heat. He's kind of doing... Gina, Gina, Gina! <laughs> I told you when we hooked up, baby! <laughs> yeah, he's good in this, man. He's kind of turning it up, yeah. you know? This is also Pacino's character in this movie. I Sean has said this, and I hope you don't mind me mentioning this to a couple hundred of our closest friends. That what Pacino does that night where he has like brandy and watches movies alone is like Sean's like, that sounds like heaven. That's my dream. Yeah. That guy goes into a screening room with his wife, who's like, what I want to do is watch movies all night. He pours many drinks and just watches the movies. And then the next day he calls a famous person and says, let's go to Musso and Frank. <laughs> That's a fucking awesome life. That's you 15 years from now. I think Pacino rolled off the set of The Irishman as Jimmy Hoffa and is like, should I tweak the character? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same character. I'll just change. Can you change my wig for this? Great. Okay, I'm good. The thing that's cool about the character, though, is he's basically playing a version of Dino De Laurentiis, very famous Hollywood producer who started out in spaghetti westerns, yep. who basically handpicked guys like Burt Reynolds and guys like Telly Savalas to come to Italy to make movies. And that's what that whole sequence is based on. And he used that spiel on those guys, and those producers used that spiel. They were like, do you really want to be heavy number two on this, on the man from uncle for the rest of your career? Or do you want to be a movie star again? I can make you a movie star again. That speech he gives is pure Tarantino. Like that is not that much different than the actual speech Tarantino gives in Sleep With Me when he's talking about Top Gun. Like nobody really thinks about movies the way he quite does. Now in another couple of years playing punching bag to every swinging dick new to the network, it's going to have a psychological effect on how the audience perceives you. So, Rick, who's going to kick the shit out of you next week? Mannix? The man from Uncle? The girl from Uncle? How about Batman and Robin? Ping! Pow! Zoom! Zoom! <laughs> down goes you, down goes your career as a leading man. Or do you go to Rome and star in Westerns? And win fucking fights. I gave the same speech to Chris in 2015. That's right. Remember? I do remember. It changed both of our lives. <laughs> Next scene, rewatchable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I told you the altitude. You guys are in for a ride tonight. I'm like barely here. Uh, Rick and Cliff leaving the restaurant post Pacino in the parking lot. Where he's crying. And puts this is life. my first super rewatchable where he goes, It's official, old buddy. Who has been. What are you talking about? What did that guy tell you? He told me the goddamn truth is what he told me. And does the whole thing, and he does the whole, when you come to face-to-face with the failure of your career, five years of an ascent, now it's a race to the bottom. <laughs> All of it. Leo's I gotta do free. fucking Italian movies. <laughs> so good. All right, that guy in there turned you down? He wants to help me get into Italian movies. Well, then what's the problem? I gotta do fucking Italian goddamn movies. That's a fucking problem. Come on. Leading to them in the car and Brad Pitt driving and seeing the hitchhiker and Tarantino throws in Mrs. Robinson. It's a great five minutes. 
And that was like where you're like, oh, this is cool. Brad and Lee are in the same movie. Um, also, really within five it. minutes, sets up the whole crisis in the movie. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole driving energy is Rick's falling apart. Yeah. I'm throwing this in as a rewatchable just because I love everything about how he filmed it. The Van Nuys drive-in. They don't have drive-ins anymore. You don't have to throw it in. It's okay. locked in. Pitt going to the trailer. His weird dog that's been there for 12 hours who's <laughs> ready to kill some Manson family members later. Brandy. Uh, he's got TV guide. He's got the world's shittiest TV. It's a mess. He's got I don't know where the dog went. Yeah. Did, did somebody come and walk the dog, you think? Yeah, I'm sure he has a dog walk. Like a movie at the... <laughs> Movie Usher at the Van Nuys Drive-In? Or is that dog I think dogs there? were just made of stronger stuff back then. You think they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. Late 60s dogs were like, hey, I'll see you when I see yeah. you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I don't need to go to the bathroom. I'm fine. It's just like, I don't, I don't need like Xanax. I don't need like a, you know, a dog therapist. You could just leave me and I'll, I'll find something to eat. Do, would you be okay with that dog on a plane, Bill? I would not. <laughs> uh, not be okay with that. Uh, the dog food, some good close-ups of the old school 1960s Yeah, wolf's dog tooth. <laughs> Rat Brad Pitt. I, when you talk about like charisma and leading actors, like it's basically him in this tiny trailer for five minutes, and he makes it work. It's not a scene that should work and be so captivating. Every touch he puts in the trailer, Tarantino, is so meticulously thought out. I, I just I like that scene. He yeah. does one really funny thing, which they do later in the movie, which is he's I think he's watching The Man from Uncle, and there's a scene between two characters, and they're saying you know they're talking to each other, and she, the woman says, "You can't do that, sir," and then Pitt's character is like, "Yeah." You can't. <laughs> just like sitting in his trailer alone talking to the television like a sociopath. But like that's what people do. The uh, next one is the Tell Bruce me. Lee scene. So, did I say something funny, stun man? Yeah, you kind of did. What's so funny? Look, man, I don't want any trouble. I'm just here to do a job. But you're laughing at what I'm saying. But I'm not saying anything funny. So what do you think is so funny? What I think is... You're a little man with a big mouth and a big chip. And I think you should be embarrassed to suggest you be anything more than a stain on the seat of Cassius Clay's trunks. Brother, you're the one with the big mouth. And I would really enjoy closing it, especially in front of all my friends. But my hands are registered as lethal weapons. That means we get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. And I think all that lethal weapon horse shit is just an excuse so you dancers never have to get in a real fight. Which is also controversial, but... I, so I'm, I'm making an executive move here because they cut away from it. He goes on the roof and takes off his shirt. And in the theater, there was murmuring and jostling in the theater. <laughs> When he takes off the shirt, the guys were like, oh, man, not bad, Brad Pitt. And other people were jostling that. We're not the guys. Um, but it's basically he just breaks it out. He's like, I'm still fucking Brad Pitt. He doesn't break it out. He breaks it out. <laughs> takes the T-shirt off. He takes There's a no shirt off. for the shirt to come off. Okay. He's like, I'm Brad Pitt. Yeah. In case you guys forgot. I'm still the guy from Thumb and Louise. I'm a little older. I'm still strong. And then I'm just still strong. That's great. It. That was your takeaway on that one? Fixing the antenna for no real reason. <laughs> And then just having a flashback to the time he fought Bruce Lee, which is probably super exaggerated. I doubt that that unfolded the way. There's a telltale sign that it's incredibly exaggerated and that he's not a reliable narrator, which is they have their fight and he throws him into the car and then they go hand to hand combat. And then Zoe Bell's character comes out 
and the perspective on the frame changes and you see that all of the people that were surrounding the fight have disappeared. There's no one else in the room. Yeah. And you can tell that he's, it's all a false memory. He has imagined that he kicked Bruce Lee's ass once, which he probably did not. And there was obviously a lot of outrage about this scene because it seems disrespectful to Bruce Lee. But I honestly think the purpose of that scene is to show us that we can't trust Cliff. Yeah, that Cliff's kind of punch drunk and is like thinking about like, yeah, remember that time I fucked up Bruce Lee? That was amazing. I'll smoke a cigarette and fix this guy's antenna Exactly. Now. Yeah. And one of the reasons, unfortunately, we love Brad Pitt so much and we think he's so cool that we want to believe Cliff. We want to believe he's good and decent. And yeah, he could beat up Bruce Lee, but that's not the point of the scene. This is why I was so crazy when there was an outrage about this scene. This is a wife-killing stuntman on a fucking roof, <laughs> drinking, who's, you know, been whatever for the but last one years. he does parkour to get up to the roof. Like, he still has moves. That is pretty That's true. Sick. Yeah. yeah. And he just has this crazy memory of this Bruce Lee fight that definitely never happened. Where Bruce Lee is this huge, arrogant asshole, and Cliff has to put him in his place. Like, there's no way this happened. And people are like, man, that's disrespectful for Bruce Lee. It's like, all right. Well. I personally also don't think Bruce Lee being overconfident is an insult to Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was overconfident. Right. That's part of what made him a great artist and a great athlete. It's cool that he's overconfident. I just saw the Bruce Lee documentary, and he's a confident dude. But I love that scene, the dent in the blue car. Cliff amused watching Bruce just rant about how he could kick Muhammad Ali's butt and, and the way he handles that, and he's just ready to go, takes his tux off. His wig. Love great stuff. Takes his wig off. That's yeah. great. Uh, next one. Sharon going to watch her own Mooney yeah. uh, movie. One, please. 75 cents. What if I'm in the movie? What do you mean? I mean, I'm in the movie. I'm Sharon Tate. You're in this? Mm-hmm. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. That's me. <laughs> But that's the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Well, that's me, the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Really? Really. Which comes off a washed-up cliff scene where it, this starts, like, when she picks up the hitchhiker, which I like because it's a nice touch. Just It's just what it was like before, so like yeah. before Manson, really. I'm only going as far as West of Phyllis. It's great to know you. All right, we'll see you later. This is also like just you you mentioned this a couple times, but like like every scene of driving in this movie is the most rewatchable scene. Like every scene where people are just driving around, listening to the radio, it's pretty much this and Days of Confused are like my two favorite driving around movies. Driving around in LA in 2020 is not the same as it is in this movie. I have a, a Honda. And I sit in traffic and I listen to Bill. That's, that's what driving around in L.A. Yeah. in 2020 is. You're, you're stopped at a stoplight going, is that person dead? <laughs> What's going on there? Um, you, 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 you did skip a scene. Yeah, he always does. Well, you, we'll go. You, you want me to wait? After I'm done. You're in charge, Bill. You're free to come in. Okay. I love the old Fox lot. I love the uh, what if I'm in the movie. I like that they use the real Sharon Tate. In the, I thought that was a really good yeah. decision. It yeah. was cool that they did that because she was great. And she was somebody who I think would have had a pretty big career and got, you know, and then she just gets thrown in the Manson family story for the rest of her life, but was a really yeah. up-and-comer. Um, Tarantino said that that idea of having her watch her own movie came from an experience he had 
after True Romance came out, he went to a theater. He was on a date at the Bruin, right? And convinced the employees that he wrote the script and can I get in and did the whole thing. But I think she's phenomenal in that movie. And she got nominated for an Oscar for Bombshell, which is a pretty forgettable movie. And I, I thought she, I thought this was the movie. So it all worked out. She got nominated anyway, but I thought this was the movie. What do you think of that scene? I think everything that he does with her is really, really smart. I mean, he said something when he accepted, I think, one of the Golden Globes where he said she was she brought the most goodness to any of his movies, which is not really something that you think about. His movies are not decent. They're actually like purposefully indecent. Yeah. They're kind of gnarly and twisted and you're meant to walk out feeling a little gross, but exhilarated but gross. And she brings something very pure. It's not like you're like pulling for Jennifer Jason Lee and hatefully. No, she's yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're all they're all literally hateful. Easy, you got it. You know, like yeah. no. No. Yeah. So she she brings like a like a literally a decent essence to the whole movie. And she's she's a great actress. She's already she's going to win an Oscar in the next 10 years anyway. I bought a ton of stock with, in her after Focus. I think I'm the only one that likes Focus. Anyone else? Kind of a quietly incredible Will Smith movie. So you waited until after Wolf of Wall Street. You were like, not this one. I'm focus going, was, it's Focus. Yeah. Focus was one. before. Focus was first. No. Are you sure? Yeah. Don't try him tonight. He's really sharp. Can someone look this up? <laughs> focus was after? Yeah. Well, that's when I bought my stock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. Bill, yeah. can I interest you in some Apple stock? Yeah. <laughs> Focus is amazing. What was your scene that we skipped? Um, Cliff, or excuse me, Rick practicing his lines at his house in his pool. Oh, yeah. No, I drinks. Had that, I'm sorry. I'd have that out of sequence. All right, just, talk about that scene. I just, it's just really funny. And I had never really thought that I'm not an actor. I don't know anything about acting, honestly. I never thought that that's what you would do, but just record the lines, set up the recorder, and then get into your pool and float around and, and read your lines. I just thought that was Do we genius. know what the drink was he was making? A whiskey sour. Whiskey sour. That's right, yeah. Yeah, eight fucking whiskey sours. Cliff, because I didn't know there was an egg in a whiskey sour. In his. <laughs> Cliff picks up the hitchhiker is an amazing five minutes, and that's Andy McDowell's daughter, which yeah. I didn't realize when I saw the movie. Harder quality, yeah. Just yeah, made me feel like I'm 100 years old. <laughs> you hitch up and down Burbank Boulevard all day till someone says they'll drive you to Chatsworth. Tourists love to drive me. I'm their favorite part of their L.A. vacation, you know? They'll be telling stories about... Hollywood, hippie girl, that they gave a ride to the movie ranch for the rest of their lives. Wait, Spawn Movie Ranch? Yeah. That's where you're going, Spawn Movie Ranch? Uh-huh. Well, why are you going there? I live there. Alone? No. Me and my friends. So you and a bunch of friends like you all live at Spawn Movie Ranch? Hop in, I'll take you there. That whole scene is great. And the tension with them, that character, she's really good. Mm -hmm. Definitely a breakout. She'll be coming up later in a couple different categories. But uh, And has a lot of driving around, which Chris loves. And more importantly, phenomenal Neil Diamond song. Great one. Who knew that they could scrape the Neil Diamond archives and and still find like an awesome... I mean, the music in this movie is just uh, superb. I think it might be his best soundtrack. Rick's freak out when when uh, he completely loses his mind. Fucking remembering your fucking lines. I practiced them and now I don't look like I goddamn practiced them. You're sitting there like a fucking baboon. <laughs> I hate fucking whiskey, sir. I couldn't stop at fucking three or four. Right? Why? You're a fucking alcoholic. 
fucking drink too much, huh? Every fucking night, every fucking night. That's it. That's fucking it. It's going to win this category. Yeah. Okay. This is also all improvised. It's not written. This was all Leo's idea, which he brought to Quentin, and they decided it would be a good idea. Did you guys talk about this on a leg day when you were just like next to each other? (laughs) He's like, all that stuff was me, Sean. And you were like, oh, that's amazing, Leo. Is that you guys? No? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I set myself up for this. Like an Uh, asshole. Cousin of that scene, the I'm Rick fucking Dalton scene, when he pulls off his big acting scene, which we should mention. I have for my, well, I, I don't want to give it away, but Cliff going to the Spawn Ranch. Howdy, Cliff. Tex. What part of Texas you from? Uh, place you never heard of. Copeville. Uh, ever been to Houston? Of course I have. Yeah, I spent two weeks once on a Houston chain gang in August, no less. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. It's the last cop's jaw I ever broke, I can tell you that. Man. Charlie's gonna dig you. The wine guy seems to be okay. Which I think, when you say it the second time and the third time, you know it's gonna happen, it loses its effect a little bit. In the theater the first time, it felt He's like the die. whole movie is, uh, yeah. is building up to it. I thought, so, he was, I thought he was gonna die in that scene. Some research yeah. on this one, Tarantino wanted it to look like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And had his crew research Texas Chainsaw and the whole feel of it and how desolate it was. And then the other influence was Apocalypse Now, the Duval helicopter scene, how the helicopters are just kind of constantly there making you a little disoriented. He wanted the dogs to be the helicopters. So when you watch this scene again, the dogs are just always around and just kind of not out of control, but involved and making you uncomfortable and like duval cliff is unflappable you know he doesn't blink he doesn't twitch he just stays focused on going to see spawn the family turns on him near the end gets dark quick they do i i saw this entire movie in the theater and didn't realize that was lena dunham didn't realize till after how could you not realize i I don't know i had the opposite experience she wasn't wearing like a fake nose i was so fearful for cliff i didn't even know who else was in the scene i it took me right out of the movie honestly yeah yeah yeah, I think she's good. It's not that she's not good in the scene. Yeah. It's just I was like, all this why like is the, the stunt <laughs> casting with the Manson family is a little bit throws you off a little bit sometimes. And then uh, the last one, unless you guys have others, when the uh, Manson family shows up, Pitt has smoked an acid laced cigarette or joint. What was it? Cigarette, I think. And then uh, mm. he's basically Floyd from True Romance for the first two minutes of that scene, and then it turns into an awesome action scene. And and the irony of it is. Cliff, the stuntman, does all the work, basically kills these three people, but Rick gets all the credit at the end, which is just like a movie. And you, I remember your white little face. And you were on a horsey. Yeah. Uh, you are... I'm the devil. And I'm here to do the devil's business. No, I was dumber than that. Something like... Rex. Cut on text. Text. What happened to Rick and Trudy? Yeah, man. Julia Butters. Eating lunch before I do a scene makes me sluggish. I believe it's the job of an actor, and I say actor, not actress, because the word actress is nonsensical. It's the actor's job to avoid impediments to their performance. It's the actor's job to strive for 100% effectiveness. Naturally, we never succeed, but it's the pursuit that's meaningful. 
Who are you? You can put that in. That's not on your list? Eh, honorable mention. I picked 10 scenes. Okay. This is a good movie. For 10 hours. Uh, Rick and Trudy. Uh, you got to also just have the entire Rolling Stones out of time sequence with the lights coming on. Okay. Yeah. So what's the most rewatchable scene? It's Leo blowing his lines and being in his trailer and freaking out. It's also just like that whole sequence with Oliphant where he's just like, Line! Woo! <laughs> like, it's just so good. <laughs> he's like Ric Flair. It's like amazing. Yeah. So about 30 minutes ago in the green room upstairs, Chris was like, literally like, don't fucking embarrass yourself out there. <laughs> just freaking out. And Bill had to pep talk him and get him, get him clear. I'm he's going good with, now, I'm going with Cliff on the Roof and the Bruce Lee scene. Really? Yeah, because when I rewatched it the third time, I look forward to that scene the most. Yeah. So that's how I'm judging this. All right, next category. What's already aged the best? We can't do what's aged the best because this movie came out five months ago. What's already aged the best? Rick Dalton's house. It was for sale on, like, and I looked at it on Zillow you and I was tell really. Tell everybody about how close you get to almost buying movie houses. He's never actually. But he's, he has sent us so many links to the Boogie Nights house where he's like. The price is looking pretty soft today. But, but it's not like, he's not like, I'm going to buy this for me as a man. Oh, no, he wants, He's like, we're moving the ringer to yeah, the boogie night. We're moving house. the ringer to the deep valley. Which is, it's in West Covina. To work Covina, in the porn murder house. A hundred yeah. minutes from where I live. Yeah. <laughs> and he would just be like, the first thing he would do would be like, I'm not coming in today. But then like the next, <laughs> like we would all be stuck there. All this with is Alfred true. With Alfred Yeah. So the Boogie Nights house was for sale for four or five months. Yeah. And they dropped the price a couple of times. And at one point, I just did Waze and tried to figure out exactly how far away it was from our office. And it was like 10 minutes too far. But we were thinking, like, we, we could film our ringer videos by the pool. Cool. In the Boogie Nights scene. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Super cool. Rick Dalton's, shoot, house. Jack. <laughs> Rick Dalton's house, uh, amazing. The dog. Randy. Yeah. Randy. He's, he's aged the best. So we had on hot. What? Why is Brandy a he? Oh, I thought it was Randy. Oh, it's a she? Randy. Randy is, is Kurt Russell. Russell, yeah. We, we did a hottest take. I forget who did it. About one of the Oscars categories should be best performance by a pet. <laughs> Which would actually be, if you think about what the Oscars Did Oscar we really are. do that? Yeah, I thought we did. Or it's in the. I thought maybe I'm Aaron spoiling Sorkin. it. <laughs> Wasn't that an Aaron Sorkin take? Where he's like, that horse from War Horse should have Maybe won Maybe that's what it was. I told that you that. was so that. weird when he said that. That's what it that was. That was so weird. That's what it was. He was not kidding. He was like, that was one hell of a horse. We think. <laughs> you think about it. You look at the Oscars and you look at, like, I don't know, 1990, the 1994 Oscars. And you're like, oh, that was the year Forrest Gump and Shawshank and Pulp Fiction. Where are the pets? Maybe this, maybe we should have, or it should at least be a little special award the day before when they do like the technical and all that crap. Yeah, uh, I'm in the dog Oscars. I mentioned Neil Diamond. How they recreated 1969 Hollywood. One of the things I love about this movie is I love being at a movie where I'm just like, how the fuck did they do that? And there's a lot of those moments where they're driving down Sunset and you're just like, how the fuck did they do that? Yeah, how did it- they completely change? The horrible highway that I go on every once in a while make it seem like a fun place. There's a lot of the signage that you see when you're like seeing all this stuff on Hollywood Boulevard and on Sunset Boulevard. Like they literally like redid it. It wasn't like, oh, that's cool. You just have to like change a light bulb. They had to like reconstruct a lot of the neon signs out there. It was just amazing. It's, and some of them kept the signs, I think. A couple of the couple of the stores. They were like, we're good. We'll we'll keep this. All all the 
production design and the costumes in the movie are incredible. Are yeah. they going to win for this? Is that a category that the, um, that they're favored for? I don't. The nineteen seventeen wave is strong, man. I don't know. Oh, Jesus, fucking World War One. Give me a break. <laughs> Over a hundred years ago. Actually, there My there is a, one funny story about that that I heard, which is that you know at the beginning of the movie when it's there's like a very slow pan out and you realize you're in his driveway and you see this this painting of Rick. You're like, what is that? It's very similar to the beginning of Hateful Eight, where there's this very slow pan out and it's like a Jesus Christ statue. And I that painting is weird. It's like, why if why would you have a painting of yourself in your own driveway? I asked Quentin about it, and he was like, I was scouting for the movie, and I went to this house in Tarzana that I thought could be Rick's house. And I get to the house and I learned that the house was Lee Van Cleef's house who was one of his favorite actors from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, very famous spaghetti Western actor. And he told this story of going into Lee Van Cleef's house, which is basically a Lee Van Cleef museum. He meets his widow. They're hanging out. And then he goes into his garage. And in his garage is a giant painting of Lee Van Cleef. And he was like, this is fucking weird that this guy has a painting of himself in his garage. (laughs) And he's like, that's why I put a painting of Rick Rick, in the driveway. And like, that's a very weird, purposeful choice for the movie to say like, Somebody probably saw a poster of Rick somewhere for a movie. And they were like, hey, man, I saw this poster of you. And I bought it and I want to give it to you. And he's like, what am I going to do with this? I guess I'll just put it in my driveway. You know, <laughs> right. there's a lot of very purposeful stuff going on in the movie that is really smart. Rick remembering when he almost got the McQueen movie and he says, me and the three Georges were up for it. Yeah. I just really enjoyed it. I would that. say you could, you could add into that, like the accumulated works of, of Rick Dalton, like all of like the, the bounty law stuff. The FBI episode, those, the Italian, the spaghetti westerns, this Operation Dynamite, like all that stuff is just so inventive and imaginative. Yeah, he's definitely on Fantasy Island in like 1979, like right before he dies of lung cancer. Yeah, Quinn does like in the in the interview he did with Kim Morgan for the New Beverly, he basically like plots out Quinn's yeah. like whole 70s or Rick Dalton's whole 70s. I think that's why he wanted to make the movie too. Is like an ode to. Maris and Jacaris yeah. and Fabian and Ed Burns and all these guys who like were maybe gonna be Steve McQueen but then didn't get a chance to be. More what's aged the best, the Playboy Mansion, which is the actual Playboy Mansion, which I didn't realize. I thought they faked it, but that actually really was it. it, it aged the best, like in terms of architecture. Or? No, it was just cool seeing it. Okay. Um, <laughs> would you say the sexual politics no, of the Playboy yeah, Mansion yeah. has aged well? It's like, hey, the no, <laughs> enjoyed seeing the mansion. <laughs> Hadn't thought about the it. Grotto. Roman Polanski dresses like Austin Powers yeah. when he goes to the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> so Mitch, good. Which I fucking love. So good. He's like, yeah, baby. Uh, <laughs> I love Bounty Law. 1960s airplanes. Sure. With the two Bloody floors. Bloody cigarettes, and, yeah. God, why can't we go back? What happened? What happened to two-floor airplanes with no dogs and cigarettes? <laughs> have either of you guys ever danced on an airplane? You can have the dogs. I've never, I never have. You've no. never danced on an airplane? No. no? Bill? Have you, have you ever danced on an airplane? Every time I fly. Um, El Coyote, which has not changed Still at thinking. all. How has it aged? Like, have you eaten at El Coyote recently? Well, the food has not aged the best. Yeah. <laughs> that is a margaritas and a nachos place, and that's it. Uh, I like, we forgot to, when Pacino's laying into him, and he says, so, Rick, who's going to kick the shit out of you next week? Mannix? The man from Uncle? The girl from Uncle? Uh Boom, bang, bang, down goes you, down goes your career as a leading man. That whole speech is great. Uh, Rick's Italian movies, the posters would be funny. They'd be on eBay. Nebraska Gym. Yeah, all that stuff. And uh, I mentioned Fat Leo. And then the extended cast, 
just a lot of randos from our lives, especially sure. my life, because I love a lot of these people. Michael Madsen, Luke Perry, Pacino, Kurt Russell, Emile Hirsch, Oliphant, Liam Dunham, like... Uh, it's definitely one of the, is this the most eclectic cast that he's had? I mean, it's, it's like pouring out of like, uh, like it's like off the shelf. It's like every yeah. single person you're like, Oh my God, there's like, yeah. And the people who are, he got cut out of the movie. Like, don't like, we, oh, yeah, that's I'm a sorry. big one. Well, all the, I mean, all the actresses who play the Manson family are all the daughters, internet of, famous yeah. or scions of famous families. Like Kevin or, Smith's daughter, Ethan Hawke's daughter. Yeah. But and then, I mean, Clifton Collinson's movie, Scoot McNary, like so many people whose business faces, Bob. you know, and then uh, last what's age best for me is that just the title, the trick of the title and not realizing that the title is setting you up for everybody not dying. It's a fairy tale. Because yeah, when I was in the theater, I, th- I don't know about you guys, but I thought everybody was going to get killed at the end. And I couldn't figure out the tone of the movie. And now at the end, I'm going to watch everybody get murdered in, uh, in Sharon Tate's house. But then the dot, dot, dot in the title. Mm. I remember when, they're, when he goes to Rome and then that sequence is really short. And you're like two hours and 15 minutes into the movie. And you're like, what's going on? Is like, is this not the Manson movie? Yeah. Like you kind of got disoriented yeah. by the end and you don't realize when they get back to the house that, that it's going to be get one night. Yeah. yeah. Right. What do you have for what stage is the best? Anything else? I have like uh, just the sensation of moving through your life with a radio or a TV on all day. Like, cause like for most of the, especially the first two days, like you're just constantly hearing the the radio in the background being like Sirian, Sirian, or, or just playing music. And then, uh, the way they just like flip the TV on and that, like, I think that's a very relatable feeling. It's like that constant nightlight feeling of, of like media like that. Yeah. And there's like all those commercials that are all authentic. He listened to like, uh, I think 16 hours of KHJ real radio broadcast. That stuff is like on YouTube. You can listen to like, right. like hours and hours of their shows. I would also say that the, the three-day structure is incredible. Like, just when you watch it and you realize, like, what you get to see because he's sticking so so much to just, like, I'm going to show you three days in these people's lives that change them, it's, it's awesome. So I'm going for What's Age the Best, how he redid 1969 Hollywood because that jumps out at me every time I watch. I don't know about you guys. What's your pick? I, I like the music and the kind of constant soundtrack of the movie. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Okay. Uh, what's already – I have two different What's Age the Worst. This is What's Already Age the Worst. Now, bear with me. This is going to be confusing. The shock value of the murders not happening with Sharon Tate and all that, it, that only really works one time as a gimmick when you watch this movie. When you're rewatching it, you know it's going to happen. So it's like a lot of great movies have that where the big reveal, the big surprise. That one is like the first time it hits you. Second time, you don't think about it because you know it's going to happen. Uh, all right. It's time. Damien Lillis. Damien, Damien, what do you mean it's time? Like, we knew this was coming? Did he die? A lot of people have been talking about Damien Lewis. It's his time, and what's already aged the worst? Damien Lewis as as Steve Steve McQueen, McQueen. but he's also Axe from Billions and Brody from Homeland and has all the baggage from those two guys, and it's like, that's not Steve McQueen, I'm sorry. I just can't, I can't go there. Uh, Him ogling Sharon Tate, I just, I just wasn't buying it. You're not with me? Why are you staring at me like I just took my head off? No, because I, I think that that was like not one of the top 100 things I would have thought you would have said just there. But yeah, it's, uh, he's not good. Yeah. I, I agree. He's not good. It's, he's, it, he's miscast. It's one of the only things in the movie I don't like. And it's also like weird, like, the, like even the way his character is written where he's like, that there is Sharon Tate and that's Roman Polanski. And that's like, it's like a very 
Mr. Exposition character. It's it's funny. I think if you were Steve McQueen at the Playboy Mansion, you would not be sitting on the sidelines looking at what other people are doing. You'd yeah. be at the Playboy Just be like, mansion. damn, I'm so lonely. I'm Steve McQueen. I had this in nitpicks, but I'll just do it now. Yeah, he could have probably made a run at, at Sharon Tate, right? Roman Polanski was like 5'2". But she, I think he, he could says have that's her type. You want me to officially weigh in on if Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen made a run at Sharon Steve Tate? Steve McQueen's just sadly sitting like on the side like some loser. He can't get Sharon Tate. I don't know. I'm not buying it. Like he was the biggest star in the world. But she has a type. Has a like, type. they explain yeah. it. I liked that, actually. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Spawn Ranch scene, we mentioned peak the first time. It's never the same after when you know it's going to happen. Anything else already aged the worst for you guys? I had Spawn. Okay. I mean, we kind of already did. I just, yeah, we did that. The, the, the takes... The takes aged badly. Um, what might age the worst? I the the Bruce Lee thing. I don't know if that will still go or not. People love Bruce Lee. They don't like any. Of the, you know, there's Bruce Lee super fans. So I don't know if that goes away. I I, I honestly, the way I explained it is how I understand. Yeah, it. I'm fine with it too. Casting what ifs? A lot of them. Bruce Stern's character uh, was not the first choice. Bruce Stern was not the first choice. First yep. choice was Burt Reynolds. Who died during rehearsals? Could not be in the movie because he died. Yeah. Uh, is this better or worse with Burt Reynolds? Old, I mean, we're talking old Burt Reynolds at this point. Dern's pretty good. I'm fine with Dern. I'm not that I'm trying to. Deny I kind of like it more. Reynolds, like, well, it's a better touch because Burt Reynolds was almost a Rick Dalton. Like that's as a as a note in the movie. Bruce Dern wasn't a Rick Dalton. Bruce Dern was always the bad guy in the western. Old. Yes. So well, I have I have my choice for who it should have been coming up later. Um, Tim Roth cut from the movie. Yep. James Marsden, ringer favorite, cut from the movie. So Tim Roth was supposed to play J.C. Brings Butler, and then uh, James Marsden was supposed to play Burt Reynolds. You can oh. see James Marsden in a in a deleted scene playing Burt Reynolds. He does not look or sound like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> there you go. Tarantino originally approached for Sharon Tate, Jennifer Lawrence. J-Law. Oh, wow. Oh. Whoa. Ooh. Damn. Hot crowd. Jesus. More than Woke the crowd up. Yeah. My Lord. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked. I agree. Uh, Tarantino wrote the role of Marvin specifically for Al Pacino. We did the three rewatchables with him. We were asking about his process when he writes roles. And sometimes he writes the role and then figures out the actor after. And sometimes he says, I am writing this part for this actor and I hope he'll take it. And I think that was the case. Any other uh, casting what-ifs? I mean, there was a lot of stories about this movie as it was starting to be developed and as the screenplay was starting to be read, even if it was just like a rumor that an actor had gone to read for it. So there was like a point where Deadline had been like reporting that Samuel L. Jackson was going to have like a major role in this movie. Obviously, I don't know what that could have possibly been. Uh, there was also, I think Tom Cruise was originally thought of for Cliff, right? It's been discussed. Yeah. I don't know how much of that can be talked about. I think, about. look, is it fair to say Tarantino has a Cruz fetish? Like he's wants to work with him at some point. I could see Cruz in the 10th movie. What do you mean by fetish? I think he likes him. I think he wants to work with him. He mentioned him in the pods we did with him. And I think he's surfaced a couple times in Tarantino movies. Yeah, I don't know how like legitimate this was. This is like kind of like internet gossip, but it was like that Cruise was up like in in the mix. We could do a whole podcast of all the movies that Tom Cruise was up for. That would have been a disaster had he done them. Yeah, and I think this is uh, one of them. Hey, new category because we passed a hundred rewatchables episodes. It's not a new category. This is the first we're hearing about this. There's, no, we, this is, we. There's a new category. No, it's not new. It's renamed. Okay. Oh. It used to be the, initially it was the Mark Ruffalo, they knew, 
Yes. For overacting. Then Stahl Rubinek, they stabbed me in the heart! And then uh, Linda Partridge, they knew, uh, what was her thing? Don't call me lady! Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We have uh, renamed it for Vincent Hanna. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! Overacting award. You do guys. So this this is the overacting award. On reheat, yeah. You didn't hear that? I haven't listened to reheat. Yeah, we didn't invite you. We didn't invite you to that one. I'm fired. Too busy doing tricep. Leo, just like getting, getting fit. So my two nominees are the guy who played Bruce Lee, because I thought he really dialed it up. Mike Moe. Or Manson family lady after her face was shattered. Which is like, ah! <laughs> For like five minutes. Just uh, had like a gun seizure. I don't know what's going on there, but... At no point they asked they never asked her to do another take and she just kinda went with it and I don't know what happened. So yeah, those are my I, two nominees. It didn't leap out. I wasn't like, man, she's really overdoing it here. When she gets her face knocked off and then gets flamethrowered, I wasn't like, man, dial it down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start at one, Fair. get the makeup off. Come on, no, we gotta reset. So you're going with Bruce Lee. Uh, Anyone else? I actually have I actually think her overacting is when she's in the car. Yeah. Which is like, I got an idea, man. Yeah. You know, doing that whole thing. Sorry, I'm watching me fucking fascist on television, man. Yeah. That's more, when she gets yeah. hit in the face with dog food, that's understandable. Yeah. Okay. Any other, any other nominees? Let's give it to her anyway. Well, I, are you going to give it to Leo for the, no? the trailer scene? No, no, no. That's good. Uh, I think Zoe Bell's kind of going, she's going a little hard. Fair. Screaming it at, at Pitt. I think that scene. She, <laughs> <laughs> Shades uh, of your Robert Shaw in Jaws. You. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. There's like 105 of these people. We each had a nominee. Your nominee was? Uh, I'll just go James Raymar as Ugly Owl Hoot on Bal- Bounty Law. You may know him from 48 I thought hours. you were going with Clifton Collins. Oh, yeah. Clifton Collins is the, the Vaquero. Well, just for to be fair, James Raymar. He's James Remar to yeah. me. Because okay. he was Gans in 48 Hours, and he was Ajax in The Warriors. He's in The, war- the, the Warriors. Yeah. He's yeah. also in I, Sex in the City. Classic, you know? Uh, Solo pod for you? Sean, who'd you have? <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Rebecca Gayhart. Just pick one. Damon Harriman from Justified. Yeah, Charles, I thought you had Clue Manson. Gallagher. Clue Gulliger? Yeah, Clue Gulliger, who's the bookstore owner, who sells uh, her the copy of Testa Ubervilles, who was star of like the Virginian and a bunch of Westerns in the 60s. I just want to let you guys know I did a lot of research on Test Ubervilles that I'm not going to use tonight. Didn't Thank work you. Out. Yeah, it's just like a dead end. I have Dan- such a generous podcaster. I have Danielle Harris, the little girl from Halloween 4 and Last Boy Scout, who's now is a grown-up Manson family Lady in this movie. QT loves Halloween 4. Yeah. Big fan. So there you go. I don't know who wins on that. Who are we going to give it to? Should we give it to James? Let's give it to Remar. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Simply Safe. Your local police department probably receives 100 calls a night from burglar alarms and usually have no idea whether the alarm is real. All the alarm company can tell them is the motion sensor went off. Well, Simply Safe home security is different. Comprehensive protection for your home. Real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of any break-in. They can tell where the intruder is in the home, whether they're armed, what they're doing. Police will dispatch to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. Outdoor cameras, doorbells, all that's going to alert you if anyone's approaching your home. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning. All monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. Set it up yourself. No tools needed or they can do it for you. 
It's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash rewatchables for free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Simplysafe.com slash rewatchables. That's simplysafe with two eyes. Check it out. Meanwhile, State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken-in apartment. Maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S. There could be one just around the corner. Contact an agent today, no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in. Check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Back to the live podcast from Sundance. The Deanne Waiters Award. I only have one nominee for this. I, Margaret Qualley is Pussycat the Hitchhiker. I thought she she's only in like four scenes. She crushes it. She's super memorable. Every single frame. And I thought I was a star-making performance, so I go for her. I got to go uh, Nicholas Ham- Hammond to Sam was- Wanamaker. Give me evil Hamlet! You know, like, I love that. <laughs> Dark okay. Hamlet! Yeah. I don't, I don't, what does he say? He's like, I want Caleb! Vroom, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. vroom! <laughs> All that stuff is great. Uh, there's a, there's more, right? Like Lorenza Izzo, who plays Francesca Capucci. Yeah. Oh yeah. His new wife. Austin Butler is Tex Watson. Yeah. He's great. He's Austin good. Butler, who's about to be Elvis Presley in a Baz Luhrmann movie. That guy's about to be really, really famous. Oh, man. The guy who plays Tex Watson. He's good in this movie. Yeah. I agree. Uh, recasting couch. If you could recast one part in the movie, what would you do? He wouldn't have done it, but Jack Nicholson in the Bruce Dern part would have been amazing. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Ooh. That's a yeah. great, great call. I want you, know to- you still got it. Thanks, CR. Appreciate <laughs> he it. He just said Jack Nicholson. <laughs> uh, I wanted to play a game with you about this. Yeah. So if, if not Brad and Leo, then who? Oh, like Ben and Matt? Well. Height difference. I had, what about Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr.? Wow. Wait, I, I forgot to check my cancel standings. Is Depp canceled? I can't remember. I honestly can't remember. I think he's just, he's, yeah. He's in hiatus. Just going to pass on this one. <laughs> Is it, I thought Depp was like, nobody wanted to work with him anymore. I'm just saying in the imaginary world of this podcast where I say something and you respond to it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Would they have been good together in the part? So I think this works because they're about the same physical build. Yeah. And they look just enough alike that it works. And I think it would have been really, I don't even know where to go with two A-listers. Jude Law and Matt Damon? Get the talented Mr. Ripley crew back together? That's nice. I like that. Not bad. Got another one for you. I did. That's not bad. I would like to see it. I would, honestly, if they wanted to remake this movie doing that, I would watch it. I had that in unanswerable questions. You want to do that now? If they flip the movie? Sure. I don't think it's as good because I don't think, I don't think Leo would have been quite as good in the cliff part. He's pretty stoic, though. I think he could do it. Not as physically imposed. Yeah, I don't think he's... He, not since Peloton started between he and I. What if, it's, what if they flip it, but Leo has to wear his J. Edgar makeup the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one, one, one Jake Gyllenhaal and Gerard Butler? Jake Gyllenhaal and Gerard Butler? <laughs> <laughs> just doing a podcast just that's, three guys doing a podcast but like that's not jake gyllenhaal's doppelganger like that's a, but it's not like when i see doppel- gerard butler i'm like god that just looks like a swole gyllenhaal it's amazing but you don't see his face we're talking about physical bearing 
He's like 30 years older than Jake Gyllenhaal, isn't <laughs> That's he? That's just not true. Butler? You think Butler's 85? <laughs> that movie's going right to Netflix. It's not even in the theater. Sarandos is like, I'm oh, in. Here's 30 million. Um, Downey and who? Because Downey was the one. I feel like he's on the on the Leo Pitt kind of level. Downey and Clooney? Too old. Yeah, I think Clooney's too old. It's well, like Clooney's six years Pitch ago. an idea for Christ's sake. Yeah, Just firing everything down. I, I said Matt and Ben. I laughed at Gerard and Jake. I, I mean, I, I did. The part of the reason why this movie is a masterpiece is because he got it. Chris is impersonating the internet. He's offering no ideas and just shitting on everyone else's. <laughs> Thank you. Speaking of the internet, half-ass internet research. Brad Pitt ad libbed the line. You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. Hey! You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. As a Brad Pitt original. Uh based it on an actor who told him the same thing when he was a budding actor in the early 90s. Like Did not Brad say who the actor was. Who yeah. do you think the actor was? I have to think it's like Michael Madsen in I'd like Thelma to think it's, like, it's Rappaport in the... In the uh, in Trap Romance. In True Romance. Yeah. He's like, you're Brad fucking Pitt. <laughs> That's what good. If, what if it was Saul Rubinek? That'd be great. Oh. Um, so a flashback shows Rick training to use a flamethrower and recoiling from the heat it generates, and it's funny. Uh, apparently that was Leo's genuine reaction to using like it. it's too hot? Yeah. And Tarantino thought it was hilarious, and it was like, that's going in the movie. <laughs> the Cadillac. Because he says, this is getting really, is there any way to turn the heat down on this? And they're like, it's a flamethrower. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Great laugh for you just saying the lines. No. <laughs> All I have to do is repeat Quentin Tarantino lines, apparently. <laughs> the Cadillac belonged to? Anyone know? Michael Madsen. Same Cadillac that appeared in Reservoir Dogs in 1992, driven oh, by Michael the cops Madsen. in the trunk. Yeah, it's amazing. Michael Madsen hasn't He's sold kept this that to car like a in amazing or, shape. I know. Hasn't been able to afford a new car. <laughs> oh, it might have been that too. Tough pod. For Low Michael. blow. Don't Sorry. kill me, Mister Blonde. Uh, at El Coyote, Sharon Tate and JC bring discuss the erotic movie theater premiere down the street at the Eros Theater which is now the new Beverly owned by Quentin Tarantino. Oh. So there you go. Uh, framed issue of Mad Magazine available in uh, Dalton's apartment. You can see it. He told us this whole story, not on a podcast. He just, he was when so he came excited in for about one of the pods, it, yeah. About uh, Mad Magazine actually made that as a full-length magazine that he had input on and had jokes from the 60s and his, this whole elaborate thing that, this is why you got to love Tarantino. He just fucking goes for it with everything. Even if there's a Mad Magazine, he's like, I don't want the cover. Let's do 50 pages that nobody will yeah. see about Mad Magazine. Yeah. That's and let's make the jokes funny. His, like, the way he wrote this movie was he essentially like wrote, I think, a novelization that was before the screenplay that is, here is Cliff and Rick's entire life up into this movie. And then he like put the novel aside. I think he gave those to, to Brad and Leo. And then he wrote the screenplay from that. The Mal- every single thing is like, I know the answer to that question. The Maltese Falcon, which Sharon Tate holds in the bookstore, is now owned by Leo DiCaprio. Oh. Is that the that. authentic? And he owned it before the movie and was like, hey, how about you could use my Maltese Falcon? Because I have the wow. only one. Because that's what you do when you make $20 million a year for like 30 years. You buy the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. I'll have to ask him to show that to me next time I go to his house. Yeah. yeah. When you guys are leaving the Equinox. <laughs> um, Trudy... 
was inspired by an actual character from Lancer. Uh-huh. That I have no idea why Tarantino was fascinated by. Well, her. some people think it's sort of based on Jodie Foster. Maybe. Because she was she appeared on Gunsmoke and Westerns at that time, and she was obviously a really precocious actress, and she was famous for being highly professional on set. Yeah. And so there's some some Jodie Foster in, in her character. Going to Apex Mountain. Tough one because this movie just came out like a week ago. Uh I will say post prime Brad Pitt. I don't think this is prime bad Brad Pitt, but if you go post prime, this is what's Brad's apex, you think? Probably Moneyball. Apex Mountain that didn't make a, that didn't make a lot to, a lot of money though. What would it be then? Ocean's Eleven, probably. You think? Well, I mean, I think his apex might. Oh wait, hold on. Let's play this out. When does he start dating Jennifer? Oh, Aniston? I thought you were going to say, hold on. Let's start explaining what Apex Mountain. Is. No, no, no. People, nobody will ever figure it out. I think. I think. Uh, I think you're right. It is Ocean's Eleven. It's, it's it's Fight Club or Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. No, you're right because he's dating Jennifer Aniston. They're the biggest couple in the world. He's got Ocean's Eleven. They're making sequels. You're right. Okay. Bad call by me. 1960s dog food, Apex Mountain. <laughs> See those cans? <laughs> um, 1969. I was going to say... Really yeah. crazy year, including my, uh, my birth. Oh. Not mentioned when people do the 1969. But uh, talk more a lot about of shit birth? happened. Like what else? Like, your what beloved like? Mets won the World Series. Yeah, that's just rude to bring that up. Yeah. We landed on the moon. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's like, uh, those are the top Woodstock. three. Yeah. You want to just say more stuff that happened President in Nixon, year one. <laughs> Coming shit, up next. A lot yeah. of shit going on. <laughs> A lot of shit going on in You just turned into a Tom Hanks CNN documentary. No, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that was a good joke. Uh, any other Apex Mountains for you? It's too early. Los Angeles movies? Best Los Angeles movie ever made? You just said Heat is your favorite movie of all time on a podcast. <laughs> that was a week ago. So we're just starting from zero now. I'm just saying. It's in the conversation, isn't it? Sure. This, uh, Heat, Boys in the Hood, Nightcrawler. Like what, like, what else? Gwen said Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice was a big influence on this movie, which I think came out in 69. And a lot of the characters and the looks that the characters have and the scenery and the setting is very Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. That's also a great LA movie. Any predictions for Apex Mountain? 10 My, years from now? Like, could this be Margot Robbie's Apex Mountain no, year right now? So. I hope not. No, no. I, hey, <laughs> having a conversation. Uh, I hope not, because I think she has better better things in store. I hope it's not Julia Butters' Apex Mountain. I hope it's not Margaret Qualley's Apex Mountain. I hope it's... Do you think it's... I don't think we'll look back and think it's Pitt's Apex Mountain, but it's an interesting, no. well, it'll be interesting to gather here, all of us. All right, we're almost done. Picking nits. We picked a lot of nits already. Um, this is where Sean's going to get it. Sean hates when I... I'm not going to touch the third rail, but I'm going to go near it. Are we sure Cliff would be that afraid to get a blowjob from a hitchhiker that's not 18? <laughs> He's a wife-killing stuntman, and it's the 60s. Is he? What, he all of a sudden he has a moral compass. This is a cool. You don't have to answer, Sean. Very Just, cool. Very cool moment for for both of us here. I, <laughs> it was 19. Like Elvis married a 13-year-old. So the question is. <laughs> are we sure Cliff Booth? Definitely would turn down a blowjob in a car in that setting. In 1969. Not answering. <laughs> there you go. Uh, did we ever figure out why Cliff's dog never shit and pissed in the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, how many hours could That's a dog be in one cut. place? The extended cut, the dog is like the fourth character in the movie, yeah. Is it like a giant crate where dogs won't shit in their own crate and the trailer's just small enough that it Maybe feels like a crate? Maybe there's a doggy door, we just don't see it. Any other nitpicks? No, actually, I, have very, I, I don't have anything for this movie. So you went we, teenager blowjob, dog shitting, and then you're, you're done. Well, because... Do you have any nitpicks for this? Because... <laughs> I'm not sure if we're supposed to think Cliff's a good guy or not. I think no, we're, we, we're think not. He's not a good guy. Neither is he's Rick. A wife killing stuntman. That's actually important. I think about the movie is because we love Leo and Brad. We think they're the heroes of the movie. They're the main characters, but those, Rick in particular is an asshole. Like he is a vain, selfish dick on the wrong side of his life, and that's the point of the movie. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and Sharon is obviously the goodness, and she's the, th- the third part of the story, and she is the you know the the good balancing out the evil in the history of Hollywood. And I think Quentin has a lot of admiration for those guys, those kinds of actors. But I don't think at any time you're supposed to think those guys are like good guys. Yeah, and I think that the theme of the movie it's funny because it's like when you watch Tarantino movies, it's like. I think if we asked, if you asked every single person in this room, they would have like a different interpretation about what Pulp Fiction was like about, if it's about anything in particular. But I think that the themes and the ideas behind Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are pretty, pretty upfront. You know, it's like what Trudy says to Rick, where he, she was talking about the, you know, the art of acting. And she's just like, it's really just about the process of trying to get better and trying to be a better person. Yeah. That, that is like the point of this movie. Best quote. We mentioned a lot of them, but I have to throw in. I could be one pool party away from starring in a Polanski movie. Yeah. That kills me. Uh, what do you have for best quotes? Anything? Um, we mentioned a lot. Hey, Dennis Hopper, move this fucking piece of shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Hey, you could do anything you want with him. Shit, throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just happy for the opportunity. No. He, he's a great fucking match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. No. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. Shit. Th- th- throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a fucking Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just he's happy for the opportunity. Rick? There you go. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix series? Uh, that's the next category. Not only could it have been remade, I think a lot of directors would have chosen to play it that way and take a giant tech, uh, check from Ted Sarandos or whoever. Or Apple. I mean, he started to experiment with releasing extended cuts on Netflix. I would definitely watch, like, however long he wanted to make this. I would watch the version. This easily could have been a 10-episode series, though. I think we all agree. And, you know, he's been threatening doing five episodes of Bounty Law. Like, for real. Yeah. He's like, I Making wrote them. the Bounty Law scripts. It's going to be weird if Leo's like, dude, I'm not doing Bounty Law. Like, I would like, guess that Leo's not going to do it. Yes. But, he, I mean, he, and he talks about potentially putting it on Netflix as a place where it could go. That's like when Will Ferrell made a Lifetime movie with Kristen Wiig and nobody stopped them and then it just kind of happened and now it exists. And they spent like four weeks of their lives doing that. Well, especially in the context of Tarantino saying, I'm not doing any more movies, but I definitely want to make 300 minutes of Bounty Law. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a Star Trek and, and, and want to make five Bounty Laws and then one more movie that you guys get. Yeah. Probably unanswerable questions is our second to last category. Did Cliff kill his wife? Yes. Accidentally or intentionally? It's purposefully ambiguous. That's why it's a probably unanswerable question. Do you think he killed his wife? Probably. He seems like a shithead. I say yes. What do Rick's next 10 years on IMDb look like? So this is the big thing is that in that, in that interview that I mentioned that Tarantino did with Kim Morgan, he t- they basically go through 
what happens if Rick Dalton gets the John Cassavetes role in R- Rosemary's Baby? And he like has thought this out so deeply. He's like, I don't think Roman Polanski would have liked him, but in some ways I don't think he liked John Cassavetes. So I think that there's a possibility. And it's like, if he plays the, char- the Guy Woodhouse character in-, in Rosemary's Baby, obviously he has a very different career. But in Tarantino's mind, he just winds up on streets of San Francisco. I think he has that. And this is what I grew up with as a kid in the 70s where he's on all those shows. Streets of San Francisco, Charlie's Angels, Vegas. He's like the equal. Rockford Files. He's just hitting all those and getting older and older and looking worse and worse. What if he became like the host of Family Feud? Oh, like Match Game? Or or Match Game or anyone. What was the Whammy Wild? What was the Whammy Game? Press My Luck? Press My Luck. Yeah. Couldn't you? Because you know that's what happened to a lot of those guys too. Is they tried to be actors in the fifties and sixties. They did a lot of television. Didn't totally work out, but yeah. they were inherently telegenic, and they got jobs as game show hosts. I think he definitely makes a movie that thirty years later they do on Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Sure, is yeah. a mortal lock. Any other uh, probably unanswerable questions? No, mine was what happens to these people afterwards. Who won the movie? Last category: DiCaprio. Chris is so certain. Jesus. You don't want to explain it. Or- DiCaprio does like low key six roles in this movie. Like the the versions of who he's playing in this movie are so varied. Like the 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 version of Rick who's talking to the Kurt Russell stuntman in the tux when he's still a little bit more successful and is trying to get Cliff a job. I guess that is that on Green Hornet that they're working on. Yes. And then the version of him that winds up in Lancer later. I mean, like every single time. And then he's also playing roles within those roles. And the whole time, it's just like such a mind-blowing piece of acting. I kind of don't think it's a, much of a question. Is he your best actor for 2019? Yeah, him or Driver, I think. Driver? Yeah. You want to do some Driver a for huge, us? A huge Kylo Ren guy. Do any Driver? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so moving, you know? So moving. Yeah, that guy just like really loved his sister or whoever she was. But like he was like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was either him or Driver, yeah. I'm surprised you haven't done any um, Caleb Dakatu impressions. You know, like you haven't done like she played her chili pepper heart out. Yeah, you're, right. N- you, don't, you don't want to do any of that now? No, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Quentin, Quentin wins all of his movies. It's, an, it's a definitively Quentin Tarantino thing. No other person could have made it. No other person really cares about this stuff as much as he does. And every time he makes a movie, he wins his movie. Well, I think we, we know what's going to happen next time Sean goes to Equinox. Definitely coffee on Quentin at the next Equinox <laughs> run-in. I think Pitt won the movie. We rarely split like this. No. Yeah. I walked away from that movie being like, Brad Pitt's incredible. And I, and I just, he was the first guy I thought of. I come to expect the greatness from Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Pitt, I th- I'd given up on. And you think about, uh, you know, Leo, he hadn't made a movie since The Revenant, right? Yeah. Five years? That's yeah. Right. Tarantino worked on this script for five years. Pitt, the last good movie he made was 2015. What was it? I, had it really- I think 15 was The Revenant. Right, but what about Pitt? Oh, Pitt. What's the last good Pitt movie? He wasn't he's- starring in it, but he was in the movie that was good. He's in 12 Years a Slave, which he produced too. Yeah, um, but World I'd War given Z. up on him yeah. and thought that, you know, the, he obviously had a pretty public breakup. It was pretty ugly. And it seemed like he was going this way a little bit. And then he just came roaring back. And it's been nice to have him back. Yeah. So I'm giving it to Pitt. What am I going to do? Just out of curiosity, let's do, let's do sounds of your voice. Who won the movie? Do you agree with Chris? Leo DiCaprio. Okay. 
Do you agree with Sean Tarantino? That doesn't you agree with me, Brad Pitt. Win the movie. Yeah. Oh, you still got it. I still got it. Still throwing low 90s with, uh, with some speed Just a couple corners. Tommy Johns away. Yeah, it was right. all that jostling when he took his yeah. shirt off. Yeah. So, yeah, man. You were like, so Brad Pitt is still strong. Yeah. Yeah. He's still very a strong man. <laughs> Do you think... <laughs> Strug. Do you think Tarantino told him to took the shirt off or Pitt ad-libbed the shirt takeoff? Do you think he was like, Quinn, you know, I've been thinking about this scene a lot. What, it needs what if he took his shirt off? Wouldn't it be better if He's like, I was fucking over jacked? There. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it was Tarantino told him to do it. Because I think this is a theme of Tarantino movies. He likes to revive superstars, yep. and he's the fixer. Yeah. And, we, and clearly one of his goals for this movie was Brad Pitt is one of the biggest fucking stars the last 35 years, and I'm bringing all of that out of him. I think also he got two of the three or four best performances out of both Brad and Leo in their careers. Which is Aldo, that's yeah, you know, Inglorious Bastards and yeah. Django, and now this together for the, for the both of them. And if we're going backwards, Travolta, mm-hmm. um, trying to think, Reservoir. I mean, he's pulled out some of the best Kaitel. He's Madsen. definitely gotten the best Madsons, yeah, and, and his Cadillac, yeah. I think best after Tim the movie, Ross probably, yeah. Jamie Fox. Should we just say all the actors in yeah. all of his movies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Carradine. Oh. Yeah. Clue Gulliger, <laughs> some of his best work. But this was Lena one of the great uh, Tarantino what-ifs was Will Smith deciding not to do Django. Yeah. And Biggest that's how Jamie Foxx gets it. And that's, you know, Will Smith, that becomes Brad Pitt in this movie, I think, for Will Smith. I yeah, think I would have preferred Smith it with Will Smith. Will Smith did do focus, though. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe he made the right choice. I love focus. Um Thanks to Sundance TV and thanks to Peroni. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much to everybody who came out to that Sundance show. It was awesome to do that one and to be around people, not only who loved the movie, but understood what we did with the show. So thank you to everybody. It was great seeing everybody. Thanks to Sonos. Every Sonos speaker is designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass. Then fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. Getting started is easy. Plug in your speaker, open the app, connect all your favorite streaming services or TV. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. And... With the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrict resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. I already told you what I like to do, everybody. I like to pretend I saw every movie, even though I only saw 85% of them. I'll lie about the other 15%. Nobody will know. Pepsi, that's what I like. Back next week on The Rewatchables, The Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's happening. Until then.